0: This morning will be a morning of stories. I'm going to begin with a story about birds, or maybe it's for the birds, you can decide. So I ask you to invite by imagining a tall tree in right by the edge of a park in a city. Caw McCrow hopped on a branch with a nut in his beak. And he dropped that nut towards the ground with a dramatic flourish. See that one go, Perch? He yelled to his brother. Ah, blast it. It landed flat on the ground again. What do you think of that? Mmm, said Perch. And he just stared into the distance. I'm so hungry, Ka said. We haven't had Enough food for weeks, and I'm still growing. I'm sure that I heard mom and dad talking about our cousins in the east woods dropping nuts from trees onto the rocks, and then they would crack and break open. Don't you remember them saying something like that? Mmm, responded Perch. I'll take that as a yes, Kaw said, and he hopped a little bit higher in the tree, And he took another nut in his beak and he gave a little extra jerk for emphasis and let it drop to the ground. It landed on the cement below, but it didn't open. And then a squirrel ran over and picked it up and walked away with it. What can you say? That lucky critter has the teeth to open the thing and I don't. I might as well let her have it. Listen, I think the problem is that our trees aren't high enough here in the city. I heard Mom and Dad say that our cousins used this really, really tall tree, and there was a great big rock below it. They feasted on nuts all year round that way. You know, Perch, our parents still go on and on about how our families lived in this woods for generations, so we might as well stay and make the best of it. But what woods? I don't see any woods. Do you? Mmm, responded Perch, staring into the distance. I don't know how Mom can look out at around us and see woods, but somehow she does because that's the way it's been for generation on generation. Now we just have roads and buildings and sidewalks and people everywhere. I guess we've been lucky living in a park at least There's a few trees around, but most crows lost all the trees in their woods decades ago. But it really isn't that bad. I know, I mean, there's lots of competition for garbage cans, but I'm extra hungry today. Maybe if I fly up a little bit higher in the tree and then drop it on the cement. So Cod took another nut in his beak and he tried once again, and again it was a failure. You know what, Perch? You're starting to irritate me. All you do is sit there and meditate. I'm hungry, aren't you? Mmm, Perch sat still, his eyes roaming around the cityscape below. I'll take that as a yes. Perch, if you're just gonna sit there, I might not share when I finally get one of these nuts to open, even though you are my favorite brother. Suddenly, Perch stood up, grabbed a nut in his beak, and then he flew to a lamppost that was over a nearby intersection. woo Go Perch! You must have an idea. Perch waited at the top of that lamppost until the light at the intersection turned green, and then he dropped the nut to the ground. A car drove by ran over the knot, and cracked it open. Wow, Perch, that is so cool. The only problem is, how are we going to get it? Well, Perch just sat there, and he waited until the light at the intersection turned red. And then he swooped down and strutted proudly into the intersection with all the pedestrians, picked up that nut and he brought it back and shared it with his brother, Ka. Wow, Perch, that is so cool. Thank you, bro. I guess your mind isn't as empty as it looks when you're meditating. Hey, look at that row of sweeties watching us. It's been really hard to get the feathers flying around here when the supplies are in such short demand. You really need a food supply to catch their attention. So Ka grabbed a nut in his beak, and he followed his brother's lead, and they spent the afternoon cracking nuts in the intersection under the passing cars. Soon, the female crows were flocking around them. Okay, so I admit this is partly a fanciful story about anthropomorphized birds. But actually, there are crows that have been seen in cities cracking nuts using exactly this method. I just added a little conversation, spice it up a bit. These animals the real ones, faced what could be seen as a hostile environment, the city. And instead of fleeing and trying to find increasingly shrinking natural environments, the crows, like other animals and birds, found new ways of responding, which opened up new possibilities in this situation. In this story, they made something out of a handful of factors. First they were hungry. Second, they had a shrinking food source. Third, they had this long-standing family tradition about how you go about finding food and where you're supposed to live. And fourth, they lived in an environment that made those family traditions only limitedly useful other crows in the neighborhood, I connected those four factors by picking at the garbage cans looking for food. They could usually find a decent supply of food, and they didn't have to go too far from the trees. But Caw and Perch searched for the possibilities, finally connecting those four different factors in a different way, making use of one of the elements in their environment, the cars which used to be just hazardous and turning it into something that could benefit them. This approach that Kaw and Perch use could also be used, the way they combine these four factors, could be used by people in all kinds of difficult situations that we face. So now about this time, you're probably thinking, why did I title this sermon The Square? So let me, let me tell you. If you think about you know, four dots on a piece of paper, usually people take those four dots and connect, it in, connect the four of them in some basic way, like putting them together and forming a square. A square typically symbolizes something standard and predictable a basic shape. But when you take that square and you turn it on just a little bit of a different angle, you get a diamond. That shape symbolizes a beautiful multifaceted gemstone. So the same box, but slightly turned to the side. How can we take those plain squares in our lives, the situations that seem to box us in and assure a negative outcome, and turn those situations on their sides so that they might sparkle like a diamond. Edwin Friedman, the author of Generation to Generation, says that our level of stress often has much more to do with our response to the environment we're in than to the situation itself. Now, these situations can include just everyday regular irritations, or they can include very, very difficult situations like oppression, economic decline, illnesses, plagues, miserable marriages, birth defects. Friedman thinks of stress as involving three dials similar to what you'd find on an amplifier. And those dials are, one, chance, two, environment, and three, response. Stress involves a balance of all three of those, how the three of them are tuned. In some situation, chance occurrences are fairly low. Things are predictable. Sometimes the chance in a situation is very unpredictable and chance occurrences are just multiple Either way, we can't control that one dial, the chance dial. In the environment dial, sometimes the environment we're in is healthful, and sometimes it's outright hostile and filled with harmful components. Sometimes we do have control over our environment, so we can adjust that dial, but sometimes we really don't. The third dial response is about our own response to a situation. We have full control over that last dial. We can turn it whichever way we want. We can use a low range of response, meaning that we keep trying the same thing over and over and over again, or we can turn that dial up and increase our repertoire, having a wide range of possibilities, trying out a whole bunch of different things. So it matters what the balance of those three dials are. If I focus only on the toxic behavior of relatives or other people in my life, but I don't look at or try to change those things that make me vulnerable, then I'll succumb to that negative environment. If, on the other hand, I can develop a wide range of responses and work to strengthen myself... I might be able to survive what otherwise could have been a very harmful environment. This might be part of the reason why some abuse victims turn into criminals and others transcend that upbringing and live happy and productive lives. Of course, we cannot guarantee outcomes just through the response style, But response can increase the odds, even in some intensely horrible situations. Friedman wrote, Concentration camp literature consistently shows that even in in that environment, the response of a person can optimize the possibility of survival. Both the hostility of the environment and the chance dials are very high and completely out of the individual's control. So only the response dial can increase the odds. It doesn't guarantee an outcome, but it can increase the possibilities of finding some sort of peace in that situation. In our lives here today, there can also be some very difficult situations that we face or loved ones face. Sometimes that final outcome of death is pretty much assured, and there's nothing that can be done about it. I work as a hospice chaplain, supporting people who know that they're not going to survive physically. When a person finds out that they're seriously ill and likely to die within a couple months, they usually feel frightened and boxed in. It's hard to see the possibilities, at least initially, and often for a long time, if ever. Most people want a miracle cure, or wish one had happened earlier. Some die in anger or despair, unable to accept what is happening, and profoundly uncomfortable being dependent on others for their personal needs, such as bathing and eating, walking and dressing. They cannot see life beyond what it should have continued to be for them. Part of my job involves helping people increase that range of possible responses that they have to their situation. And that isn't easy. Under stress many of us become closed in and cling to those old patterns whether they work or not. But there are many patients that truly inspire me. And I'd like to share the story of one young woman, Teresa, who was 29 years old. She had ovarian cancer. Teresa had a vibrant life at the time she was diagnosed with illness. Her career was going well, she had been with her partner for many years and they were engaged to be married. Then she was diagnosed with cancer. She did not want to die. She wanted life to continue as it had and to go on and marry and have a family, but she knew that wasn't going to happen. And when I met her, she was at the end of her life. She was mostly confined to bed, just got up here and there and um, really could was very limited in what she could eat and all of that. But she always had a warm and genuine smile for anyone who, who was there, for her family, for her friends, for the strangers that came in to help take care of her. And one day, when I was visiting with her, she said that she wanted to, plan to do something a little bit special, something that would take her out of her usual routine of being a sick person hooked up to all these tubes. And so we sat down and we brainstormed. And I said, oh, the hospice can help you to do this. We brainstormed a couple ideas, you know, getting out to the park nearby or going out shopping. So she said she would think about it and get back to me and and the rest of the hospice team. So three days later, she came back she called us up and she said she decided what it is that she wanted to do she decided she wanted to get married and the hospice came forward and we were able to help her to plan this wedding to go ahead with this wedding that she had originally planned and she spent the next week picking out flowers and a dress getting her sister ready to be her bridesmaid focusing on the joyful activities of planning this time of celebration with her family and friends. It brought people all together from different parts of the country to celebrate with her. She died three weeks later, surrounded by her family, and I'm told that she had a bright smile on her face as she died. She had found a way. To celebrate and find joy in the midst of her suffering. This reminds me of a story from the Buddhist tradition in which a monk is walking through the woods. he's walking through the woods, he notices that there's a great big tiger stalking him. And so he hurries up, but the tiger keeps going faster and faster. The monk is pretty scared by this time. And he sees a possibility. He's approached this cliff. So he looks down and he thinks, okay, I have can't really go back because the tiger's back there, and there's a cliff in front of me. Well, what am I going to do? So he says, okay, there is a possibility here. I'm going to go over the cliff and hope for the best. Maybe there'll be something to grab onto. So he does go over the edge of the cliff, and he's able to grab onto just a small branch along the side of the cliff as he's going down. So he looks down, and he realizes it really isn't that far down, and if he just... Gently lets himself go. He can probably survive, maybe a few bruises and bumps and all that. So he figures, okay, this is my opportunity. But then he looks a little more closely, and there's a second tiger stalking on the ground below him. So he looks up, there's a tiger. He looks down, another tiger. Okay, what's he gonna do with this? Well, he decides he's going to just hold on to that branch for as long as he can, and eventually either the tiger below will go away and he'll jump down, or the tiger above will go away and he'll scramble back up the cliff somehow. It's at this point that he notices that there are two mice who are gnawing at the branch that he's holding on to. (laughs) Okay, so the monk realizes he is going to die. There's a tiger above, below, mice on the side. There's nothing he can do about it. He has some choices. He could jump and hasten his death. He could scream and curse. He could quake with fear. But in this Buddhist story, he decides to calm down, to look around and look for the possibilities. As he does that, he notices that there's a little raspberry bush hanging off the side of the cliff, and it's just barely within his reach. So he's able to kind of swing over a little and pluck a couple of those juicy raspberries. By now, the mice have nearly gnawed the whole branch through. But the monk takes those berries one by one and eats them and says, how delicious. Here is a person finding beauty and joy in life despite a very hostile situation. Most of us won't have such dramatic situations to face anytime soon, but there are the equivalents of tigers and mice in our lives, too, and in our world. Some of us will go home or Maybe visit with family over the holidays, and we'll fall into those predictable patterns of response to the usual tensions between us and a parent or a sibling or a child, or to a scene that always develops between relations. Some of us will go to work tomorrow and try to stay out of the radar of an anxious and unpredictable boss or a very nosy coworker. Some of us will attend a church committee meeting sometime this week knowing before we enter the room who will object to the proposal because it wasn't their idea, who will try to make peace when the committee chair gets vocally frustrated and we will know exactly what our own response is going to be. In some cases, situations that we're going home to may be truly hostile and toxic and the options are limited. In other cases, our options might be reasonably healthful, and there might be just pockets of tension here and there. But either way, we have choices that we can make. On the reactive end of the scale, we can move far away from family, we can look for another job, or we can leave our congregation. We could just stay put, grit our teeth, and bear whatever comes. But neither end of that scale is likely to change much in the long run. When we escape a situation or continually suffer without either resolving it or learning to modify our own response, life has a way of bringing us into another closely related situation in which we're faced with a similar environment. Many people repeat the response pattern over and over again, without thinking about it, without realizing that there are options. It's so easy to look at a situation and to see only that square, that one way of putting together the factors. Somebody's going to respond in a predictable way. The tradition of our congregation or family or circle of friends expects that we're gonna act in that predetermined way and go along with the usual patterns. But if, on the other hand, instead of responding with that box, we try to increase that range of possible approaches and look for strategies that modify our own reactions, despite how we've usually done things, despite how uncomfortable it might make us feel to try something new, despite what others expect us to do. Eventually, we may discover a hidden jewel which makes an intolerable situation livable or which gives us the strength and courage to live up to a difficult challenge. We often cannot choose where we are in life or what's going to happen to us, but we can always, always choose how we are going to respond.